We are going to look at chapters, or chapter 19, not chapters, uh, verses 16 through 30. But uh, before we start, as always, let's ask God to speak to us in a powerful way this morning. Lord God, we are so thankful for yet another day to live and breathe and to experience your blessings. And I pray that we would never take that for granted. Lord, that we would understand that life is so fragile and it is a special gift from you. And may we thank you for every moment we have. And this morning, Lord God, we ask that you would use this moment to speak to our hearts, to give us confidence in who you are and what you've done. And I ask that you would do this through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, the title of this morning's message is Confidence. Confidence. As I was looking through the text this week and really trying to think, what is John trying to show us through the one of the most significant events in world history, which is the crucifixion, I, I really came to the conclusion, as you'll see this morning, and I pray God will show you, of the confidence that we have in our Lord and Savior. There's so much that we don't have confidence in. Isn't that true in our life? You know, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. You know, we don't have, well, maybe you don't, maybe I don't and you do don't have much confidence in government. You just never know what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis. And that's why I prayed this morning. You're truly blessed to even have another day, for there is no guarantees about tomorrow. And don't we want confidence? We want to be able to trust people, trust governments, trust organizations. Even in the church, you might think, yeah, I've had a bad experience in the church. And sometimes I even lack confidence in the church. And unfortunately, it's because there's people in the church, sinful, flaw, flawful, if that's a word, people. It was, and as I was thinking of this, you know, there's that famous quote that Ben Franklin wrote in a letter after the creation of the Constitution of the United States and kind of speaking about confidence. And he wanted the person that he was writing this to not to have so much confidence in this newly formed government and especially in the Constitution. And he wrote, Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. And then he wrote this. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And that's true, right? Unfortunately, the sad reality of our sinful nature in this fallen world is that we will have death. That each and every one of us, unless the Lord returns in our lifetime, will experience physical death. And then, unfortunately, probably worse than death is taxes, especially this tax season. But he was saying those are the only two things that are certain and you can have confidence in. But as I started to say, I think John begs to differ, and I beg to differ as well, as we'll see this morning in chapter 19 of his book that he wrote. And I want to go to, back to something that I've been saying when we started the Gospel of John, that John wrote his entire Gospel with a specific purpose, and that was giving his readers confidence. Turn with me to, before we get into the text, just one chapter over, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, I think it is. And he wrote this after, almost at the end of his Gospel, he said this, Therefore, Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these have been written, meaning the things that he did record in his book. These have been written so that you may believe or better yet have confidence that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That was John's whole purpose for writing this book, those two things. And so in looking at this morning's text and specifically, as we'll see in the narrative of the crucifixion. John uses this narrative to give us confidence and again, confidence in two things. First, he gives us confidence in who Jesus is. The whole purpose of the crucifixion and in his story is to add to the confidence that he's already been building up to at this point to his readers. And who, who is Jesus? He's the Messiah, the promised one, and the Son of God. And secondly, John uses the crucifixion narrative to give us confidence in our salvation. So there's two things that I hope that you will take from this morning's sermon. There's number one, that you can have confidence that Jesus is who he says he was and as the Gospels portray him. And secondly, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, you can have confidence in that as well. So again, let's now look at this, how John does this. Let's read the text in its entirety from verses 16 through 30. And then I'll come back and show you how John demonstrates these two truths. And I think it's interesting that as we'll read, you'll notice that as he records the crucifixion, he doesn't do it with a lot of detail and dramatic language, which you would think would happen, right? This this week I, I was on YouTube and looking up the passion of the Christ. How many of you ever seen that by Mel Gibson? I would encourage you to at least see it once. That's all I could handle because it's very dramatic and emotional. And even as I was watching it in Starbucks, I started to tear up and I was looking around and make sure nobody was like, what's this guy doing? Is the coffee that good? And I almost thought of just showing that scene because when we read it, there's there's not a lot of detail and a lot a lot of drama. But I would but I would encourage you if you've never seen it to watch it. It's a tough watch. Believe me, it's very violent. But I think it, it probably portrays what really happened to Jesus and how he suffered. And so let, let's read the text now before I get too far off. Starting in verse 16. So this was after Pilate had, he, Jesus had been on trial with Pilate. And it says this, so he, meaning Pilate, handed him over to them, meaning the Roman guards, to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote on wrote an inscription and put on the cross. It was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part of every a part to every soldier, 
and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one place. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture. They had divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing at the cross, excuse me, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Again, I hope you know it's just how like matter-of-fact John is about the crucifixion. He says they crucified him. No details. Again, not a lot of flowery language about the crucifixion itself. And I'm sure as I was reading it, you were imagining, I would think, what that would be like. But again, the reason I point this out is because I don't think, and this is my own opinion, I guess, that that was the main purpose of writing the crucifixion account to just show the crucifixion. I think, again, he had a purpose in doing it. He was building up to this point, showing us, again, the confidence that we can have in that who Jesus was and in our salvation. And he uses the crucifixion to demonstrate that point, kind of to cement that. And I want to show you how exactly he does this and how John demonstrates these two truths. So how does John do that? Let's go back at the text for a minute. And actually, let's go back in the Gospel of John a little bit, and I'll show you how John does this. John shows us how the crucifixion of Christ was God's will. Now, I say this because this wasn't a surprise to anybody except for all the disciples. Jesus knew this was going to happen. The Father knew this was going to happen. This was in the plan of redemption. It was only to the disciples that it was a big shock. So Jesus taught his disciples in a number of areas in the Gospel of John about this truth. Turn back with me. Let's, we're going to look at three verses in the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 4. And let's look at verse 34. And we'll see that Jesus had been telling his disciples that this is going to happen. So when it did happen, they would believe in him. Again, when the crucifixion came, this was to tell them, you know what? Jesus said this was going to happen thus demonstrating he is who he says he is, giving them confidence in him. So John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, alluding to that there's something future that's going to happen that I'm going to accomplish. I'm going to do God's will. Turn with me now to chapter 5 and look at verse 36. Jesus again saying, chapter 5, verse 36, But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, 
for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify me that the Father sent me. He's again saying, I have this great work to do that God has given me, and I'm going to do it until the end. And finally, in chapter 17 of verse 4, again, there's a number of other verses. And there were a number of verses as well that talk about Jesus saying, I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to be here. I'm going away. In chapter 17, verse 4, I glorified you on the earth. Him speaking to, to the Lord, to the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. There was a work that Jesus had to do, and he was going to fulfill it to the very end. And he was teaching his disciples about this, that this was God's will. There was a great work for him. And as I mentioned, there are a number of verses, we can't go through all of them, that talk about how he's going to leave them. And so that's number one. So this is how John, if, we've been, if you've been reading through the Gospel of John, he's been saying this throughout. Now here is part of that work. And not only that, now going back to our text, I want to show you uh, two sections here where the Apostle John, as, we've been, as I read it, I hope you noticed, where he said to fulfill the Scriptures. That even the Old Testament Scriptures, as John is writing to his readers, predicted this event. So the crucifixion should not have been a shock, or the death of Jesus should not have been a shock because the Old Testament talked about it. And so look at verse 23 and 24 of our text, just so I could give you the, where he says this. So in verse 23, this is the depiction of the soldiers dividing the garments. And it says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier. So they were dividing the different parts of the Lord's garment amongst themselves. That was one of the things that, that was like the soldier's reward. They get to have the criminal's clothing. <coughs> so they divide them into four parts and a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. So this is the event that happened. And the apostle John says, hey, this section or this thing that happened was actually predicted in the Old Testament. That's why he says, and they actually only had that at the time, this was to fulfill Scripture. What was? Look at, they divided my outer garments, and among them, for my clothing, they cast lots. So he quotes Psalm 22. Let's go back to Psalm 22, and I want to show you, this is one of the, what's called a messianic uh, psalm. A, a prophecy about Jesus. Now it's the it's King David in anguish, but John takes from there and says these things foreshadowed or foretold what was going to happen to our Lord. So go to Psalm 22, and we're actually going to read verses 1 through 18 because there's various places in this psalm that that were said to fulfill Scripture later in the New Testament. And you'll see as I read them, because John didn't record uh, every event in on the crucifixion when Jesus died. So if you remember some of the other Gospels, you'll hear some of those quotes here in Psalm 22, verse 1, or, or verses 1 through 18. For example, the very first one, look at what it says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, Jesus said that from the cross. 
For my deliverance is, for far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O oh, you who are enthroned upon the, the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with their lip. They wag their head saying, and here's another example of Jesus or the gospels quoting this verse. Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue you because he delights in him. You remember the people shouting that to Jesus saying he saved others. Let him save himself and come off the cross. This is what it's speaking about. Verse nine. Yet you are he. Excuse me. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast upon you. I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. That's what happened during the crucifixion, by the way. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For the dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Again, an allusion to the crucifixion. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So there's the, the exact scripture that John uses saying, See, this was prophesied in the Old Testament. This thing that is happening is not a surprise. You can have confidence in the scriptures that what God says is going to happen is going to happen. So let's go back to our text now. So that's just one way that John uses the narrative of the crucifixion to show us these things that he said of the purpose for his writing of the gospel. So back in our text now, drop down to verses 28 in 29, because here's another section of the narrative where he says to fulfill the scriptures. So after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. So Jesus knows the scriptures as well. And we'll come back to that. He knows that his mission is, is being accomplished. And look at what it says to fulfill the scriptures. He said, I am thirsty. So him even saying, I am thirsty, thirsty also fulfills the scriptures. Again, it's not a surprise what has happened, except to the disciples. Now, let me show you where John gets this from. One, one more scripture in the book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 69, and we're going to look at verses uh, 20 through 21. Psalm 69, 20 through 21. So here the psalmist is writing, again, being in great distress. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am so sick. 
I look for sympathy, but there is none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And that's exactly what happens here in verses 28 and 29. When Jesus says, I'm thirsty, what do they do? They uh, dip down a branch of hyssop, put it in a sponge of sour wine, and they give it to Jesus, and he drinks. And then it is that time where he says, it is finished. So again, the point being, John uses the narrative of the crucifixion to show who Jesus is and how we can have confidence in him. And he goes back and shows you here, there's two examples, and he could give us a bunch more. But for his purpose, he gives us two, Psalm 22 and Psalm 69, showing how the scriptures predicted this event. This is not a surprise. And again, I mentioned in passing that Jesus acknowledged that the scriptures taught this truth. Again, in verse 28 of our text, it says that he had, after knowing that all things had been accomplished, Jesus himself knew this was going to happen. And in order to complete it, to fulfill the scriptures, he says, I am thirsty. This, again, was not even a shock to Jesus. I'm reminded of the Gospel of Luke. You remember when Jesus was talking to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after his crucifixion? Turn there with me. I want to show this to you. Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Here's another example of how Jesus knew that the Old Testament prophesied about this. So in verses uh, 25 through 27, what's happening here is disciples are on their way to Emmaus and they're talking about all the events that happened and how that they had hoped, they had pinned all their confidence on Jesus, that he was going to be the Messiah. And now it's all lost because he's been crucified. And look at what Jesus says to them in 25, in verse 25, after this. It says, and he said to them, O foolish men, Slow in heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. So again, this is I'm bringing this point up to show you that Jesus knew that the Old Testament had spoken about this very event. He's saying you disciples should have known this, but you didn't. You're slow of heart in all that the prophets had spoken. Look at verse 26. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning from Moses, meaning the first five books of the Old Testament, and with all the prophets, the, the entirety of the Old Testament, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus took them through the scriptures of the Old Testament, showing them how this crucifixion was predicted, was supposed to happen. So Jesus himself acknowledged the scriptures taught this. So how does John demonstrate these two truths? One, he shows us that the crucifixion of Christ was God's will, and he did that through Jesus' teachings, through the Old Testament, and also uh, through the book of Psalms. But that wasn't the only thing that John was trying to show us. He also shows us in verse 30 that Jesus finished God's atoning work. And I alluded to that in the verses I gave to you earlier. Look at what it says here in verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, what does he say? It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So when Jesus says it's finished, what is he talking about? Does he say, is he saying my life's over? Or is it something else? And that word finished means completed or accomplished. 
It gives the idea of somebody carrying out their religious obligation until the end. And Jesus did that. He realized he had a work to do. He carried it out to completion. He fulfilled God's will for him. And in doing that, what does that mean? Because he finished it, finished it what happens? Well, because he finished God's work there on the cross, he provided a way for men to be reconciled to God. Jesus not only did that, but he finished that perfect life so he could be that perfect sacrifice from God. He lived the perfect life to God and he died for the sins of the world. That's what he's saying. Salvation is now offered to all men because what he has done. Now, he's not done yet completely because we're still waiting for the resurrection that we'll read in the next few weeks. But this part is done. Salvation is now provided for all men. And that's what he means by it is finished. So how does John demonstrate these two truths? Let's look at this next point. Because of what Jesus did on the cross in providing for us salvation. So this is really more of an application here. So because of all that John has said to us so far, Jesus has finished God's atoning work. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can have confidence that our salvation is sure and secure in him. So look at it. Because what Jesus did, your salvation is sure. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation is finished in a sense. There's nothing more that you can add to it, meaning you can't be a better person. You can't go to church enough. You can't read scripture enough. You can't be baptized long enough. You can't be held under an extra two minutes to wash off all the sin that you've committed. There's nothing you can do. Jesus's work on the cross has atoned for it. It's finished. That's also embedded in that meaning. Just think of that, that your salvation is sure. You don't have to do anything else. I hope that brings you comfort. You see, the crucifixion was a divine plan of God, and it, was no, it wasn't like a bump in the road. That was divinely inspired to finish the work of salvation. So for that point of application, you should have confidence that your salvation is sure and secure in him. He's already finished it. It's a done deal. Not only that, the second point of application for us because of the crucifixion's narrative is that we can have confidence in all that God has said in his word. Remember, Jesus here in, in the gospel is pointing back to he took the, the disciples to the scriptures to show that, hey, all these things were supposed to happen. John says all these things happen to fulfill the scriptures. So we should have confidence in what God says in his scripture is going to come to pass, is going to happen. So you trust God for your salvation. You should trust him in everything else that he says in scripture. And again, this goes back to what I said at the very beginning, what John said in John chapter 20, specifically in verse 31. These things were written, even the crucifixion narrative was written. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, again, the crucifixion, and later we'll see the resurrection and ascension, demonstrate that Jesus is not just a teacher. He is God incarnate. Therefore, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's number one. 
the scriptures and specifically the crucifixion for this morning's message should give you that confidence. And secondly, and finally, again, going to John chapter 30, verse or chapter 20, verse 31, that believing you may have life in his name. That's why the scriptures were written here, according to John, at least what he's written. He wants to give you confidence that your salvation is sure that if you trusted Jesus Christ, know that you have life in his name. And I, I think Pastor John alluded to this in his prayer or that, hey, we look forward to the resurrection. We're saved. Now we look forward to the total, complete restoration of all things as they were supposed to be before sin entered the world. And I hope that gives you confidence in your life. Guess what? The world around us is falling apart, is, is going to fall apart. It's not going to be perfect. We cannot have confidence in this life, except according to Benjamin Franklin, death and taxes. <clears throat> Unfortunately, the new tax laws aren't going to take away taxes. But we can have confidence in what God has done and what God has said. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. I pray that we realize how accurate and true it is. Lord, that we would see through the gospel of John and specifically the crucifixion narrative that we can trust in you. We can see that Jesus Christ is our Savior, our Messiah, the Son of God, and we can trust in him for our salvation that you have given to those who believe on you. And I pray this morning, Lord, that each and every one of us this morning with confidence can say that we believe in you. We believe what you did on the cross. That you provided a way of salvation for us. If we would believe on you, trust in you and have confidence in all that you've done for us. So, Lord God, I pray this morning that we would leave this place with confidence in you. Help us to follow after you even more because of that confidence, resting and trusting in your work and for you making it complete and finishing it on the cross. We thank you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.